Um, looking forward to our, our time this morning and, and, and discussing these two aspects. You know, we're talking about peace, peace as in being a peacemaking and being a peacemaker. I don't think anybody here doesn't enjoy peace. Uh, had 20 plus people yesterday. All the outlaws came in. I mean, in-laws came in. And, you know, we... Peace is something that we, we desire, we cherish, and we, we enjoy. And what does it mean to, to pursue peace and to experience peace? And these, these two things that he addresses in Chapter 3 were, were really helpful for me because I, I experienced this even in, in our ministry as I processed this, probably going from a, a fundamental background that, that kind of instills this idea of very guilt-driven environment where you have to work hard and, and do. If you do well, God will bless. If you pray hard enough, he'll give, uh, and, and all these things. And, and, and you kind of you, you don't take into account God's sovereign rule in things, and then that coupled with God's goodness. So he addresses those two issues, and I just, as I was walking through them, just realizing how this is pivotal to understand what peace is, one, experiencing peace in my own life, and then as well, how do I, because a lot of our non-peaceful moments are interaction with other people, it's with circumstances, it's with events of life, and and understanding these two pieces for me were were key. And I went back to one thing that I had been reading recently, um, Desiring God from Piper, and he addresses the question of God's sovereignty there. So a few pieces I want to add to that that I thought were, were helpful for me uh, as well. So just walking in, I, I entitled this Sovereign Peace. I, uh, he addresses these two questions of God's sovereignty, and I put down these two. Here's the three points I want to make in, in, our, in our 30 minutes this morning. One, peace is rooted in the sovereignty of God. And we're going to unpack that, unfold that. Peace is rooted in the love of God. And then peace is rooted in trusting in a sovereign and loving God, how those two pieces come, come together. So one of the quotes he has early on in the book says, The more you understand God's love and power or God's sovereignty, the easier it is to trust him. And the more you trust him, the easier it is to do his, his will. Even talking to, to Mark Jacobson this morning, we're talking about you know, lessons learned are continually need to teach those lessons and learn those lessons. So I'm going to preface it right now by saying this is not something that you acquire one day and you master the rest of your life. You continue to learn what it means to entrust God's sovereignty in the affairs of men and how that brings, in my ministry throughout the years, it brought great comfort and great peace in my heart and mind knowing that God was sovereign over my ministry over the church he had given to me, over the people that I was ministering to. So when we're talking about peace, our understanding and our belief in the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God are two keys. Now, what I like about one thing he brings out is the essential element of those two pieces being two sides of the same coin, if you will. And I thought about that because if you, you could believe in, let's say you believe in a sovereign God, what, what problems would it create to believe in a sovereign God but, not, but questioning a good God? So that's a question I'm asking, right? Which means I need some answers here. <laughs> what, what conflict does it cause in our minds to say, yes, I believe in a 
and a sovereign God. And he makes a distinction that's important for us, too, in how we define sovereignty. It's not just a powerful God. Okay, I can believe in a powerful God. What does it mean to believe in a powerful God? Which means he's entirely capable to do whatever he wants. He could overturn kingdoms. He can intervene at any moment and bring an end to the, our misery. He can, he can bring judgment at any moment. And we see the wickedness of the world saying, why is he waiting to intervene? So a powerful God, yes, we believe in a powerful God because he, he could do anything he wants to do. He has control of the natural, supernatural. But sovereign God is a little bit different. It means he, he, he controls and directs affairs of men. It's more than just his ability to intervene when he wants to. It's his handling of the affairs of men. So the... That's, that's one aspect of it, but what happens if we are firmly con convinced that he's a sovereign God and a powerful God, but we waver and we're shaky on the idea, is he a good God? Well, what happens with that? What? It renders it him in, uh, in, incapable to really trust him. It comes down, and that's actually why he hits at the end of the chapter. It, it renders us incapable of really trusting him. I mean, if you know someone has not is all powerful, but you're not convinced that he's all good, then you're going to start seeing things in a different light. You're going to say, well, I mean, why is God allowing this? Because, I mean, he's all powerful. He certainly could stop and, and, and stop this if he wanted to, but clearly there's something not good about what's going on. So, you, and, and you're questioning why he's doing what he's doing and why he's not doing what he's not doing, and, and you start questioning that. So those two pieces are instrumental in, in us understanding I mean, a God that's not only a sovereign God, but also convinced of his goodness. And those two pieces have to, have to, go, have to go hand in hand. So put down peace is, is rooted in, peace is rooted in the sovereignty of God. How does our understanding of God's power or God's sovereignty impact peace in our life? How does your understanding of God's sovereignty he uses sometimes the word power, but how does our understanding of God's sovereignty impact peace in your life? Obviously, there's peace, and then there's the ability to impact and be peacemakers in the process, right? You're not going to be a peacemaker if you don't have peace. You're not going to be able to go and, and, and be a peacemaker in, in, in relationship to others if your own life is in turmoil. And so that's the foundational peace, and these two elements here are foundational to having peace in your own life. And then from there, being able to be peacemakers in the lives of others. So... How does our understanding of God's power or God's sovereignty impact peace? Peace in general, but then as well, peace in our ability to impact peace in the midst of conflict, right? So how, how are those two things related? Well, for me personally, I look at the world and the way it's going, just like you and I talk about Russia and how quickly things can go bad. You're like, well, God's in control. First of all, I can't do anything about it, but... Like there's no reason to worry. And, you know, even the nature of my work, I'm constantly reading news from around the world and things like that. And it's like you know, <clears> then you just step back and go, God's in control. Nothing new under the sun. Yeah. That little word "step back" is 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 something that I think Piper describes as a narrow land and the wide lens, and I think that's helpful. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So, right, the the ability to see that, hey, I mean, ultimately. And we're talking about the Wagner you know, thing in Russia going on. And for a moment there, I thought we were going to have uh, entertaining events unfolding. And next thing you know, they're, they're backing off. So it didn't get through. But yeah, you're sitting there thinking, okay, what's, 
what happens if they control the nuclear arsenal and then what happens here and we were just in France a few weeks ago and with our friends there and they're talking about everybody's worried about war with Russia because all it takes is for them to attack one NATO country that every NATO country has to engage because they're all um, bound right uh, militarily so like we're, we have to live and li live because you know we might be at war with Russia tomorrow. I mean, it's it's much more present in their minds than it is it is here. So ultimately, you step back and say these are things, yes, out of our control, and you let them rest in, in the in the hands of God. Anybody else? What, what's the where's our relation between God's power, God's sovereignty? How does that impact our our peace? Just that yes. our peace. So peace is not, I'd say at least limited certainly to, to, to what's going on here. Our peace is anchored in someone else, obviously in Christ, and anchored in eternity as well. So in our understanding of, of God's sovereignty, it's, it's not only understanding what God desires for us, but it's understanding that he's entirely capable, entirely willing, entirely able to fulfill his every purpose, and what he, he'll bring out here is his every good purpose in and through us and every one of our circumstances. I mean, I could, I could go through a list of, of, of acquaintances and people that, you know, maybe they, maybe they rub you the wrong way. Maybe they don't, they don't bring out the best in you, right? You know that person who doesn't bring out the best in you. But all these things, when I put them in the right perspective in the sovereign God, I, I also understand that they're there not just for my own edification, but they're also there to fulfill his, not just his sovereign purpose, but his sovereign good purposes. That's why those two things have to be, have to be uh, linked. So I mentioned, you know, understanding of God's sovereignty through a narrow and wide lens. I understand the term sovereignty is, is very broad, and the, the thing about that is that we're, we're engaging in a subject that we don't understand, and that we cannot fully understand. I brought out, I think about a year ago, just studying, just understanding that God's omnipresent, in time and in space. We, we always see God as omnipresent in, in space, but he's omnipresent in time. He's not, he's not working through history as we're working through history. So how, how do you try to understand a God who's not working through time as we are? He sees time. He sees the fullness of time. He sees things completed. So we can't really understand that. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, we're obviously uh, touching a, a subject that is way beyond our, our, our grasp, but we try, to, we try to receive and understand and trust. He gives some, some definition here that I think are, are, is helpful uh, when it comes to understanding this. I mentioned earlier being powerful and being in control are two separate things. If all I believed was a, was a powerful God, but I didn't believe in a sovereign God, and I believe in a sovereign good God, my, my understanding of what I'm experiencing would be warped. It would be skewed by a, a, a lack of faith in what, who he is and his character and his nature and how, how dangerous that, that would be. But to understand that he's fulfilling as a sovereign God not only speaks to his power, but it speaks to his constant exercise of that power in fulfilling his purposes. I can rest in peace knowing that God will fulfill his purposes. And it, it was... It was, it was big for me to understand in my life, in my ministry, that nothing that I do 
I, you know, you know yeah, you can be frustrated with decisions. You, you try to make big decisions. You know, here, here is at the school, do we make a big decision about expanding the school? Does that mean we don't have the funds for it, right? Now, you, if you have the money, the big decision is becomes pretty much easier, right? If someone just wrote a check and there it is, that decision becomes a little bit easier. But when you're sitting there and you're not sure exactly what the next step is and there's ambiguity, there's concerns, what ifs out there, man, you can be quickly stifled by, by decisions. What should I do? And, and you're sitting there. I tell you, the reason why I don't get paralyzed by it anymore because I have to. I have to. Is chat GPT doing the rest of the lesson for us? Maybe the AI is. She was fact checking. I hit the wrong button. I already have Jane who can fact check me. That's good. That's good enough. That's right. N knowing that you have, knowing that regardless of the decisions I make, I'm making them with a desire to, to do what is right before the Lord. He's not going to be, uh, not only he's not going to be caught off guard by the decision I make, but he, he's not going to be frustrated in his plans by decisions I make. God doesn't sit there and think, boy, if all these pieces just fall right into place, I'm going to be able to do this. And I've addressed that issue a lot in missions because I find it so interesting in missions that we always portray missions as somehow God's frustrated at man's inability to act. I don't view God as a frustrated God. He fulfills his purposes. He accomplishes his purposes. And I think Piper has a phrase, I think I'll use it a little bit later on, how he does it through our, uh, through our weaknesses and our frailty, not... Not thanks to our strengths and our, our wise decisions and our faithfulness and our obedience. And he, he gives a description of that. And, that. and when you understand that, wow, what a, what, a, what, what a sense of peace there is in my own life, understanding that God is not frustrated. And God, even if I make the word, I shared this with someone, I may have shared it here. I had to let somebody go once, and that's always a painful experience as an administrator. But I told him, says, you know, even if this is the worst decision I ever made, you can trust God to be faithful and true and fulfill his purposes in your life. You know, I know you don't think this is the right decision, but this is where I think we're at. So you have, you have to really be freed from that and trust the Lord in, in these areas. So three things that I find interesting that, that Piper brings out a lot in his, in his book. One, God's sovereignty is a foundation of his happiness and our happiness. The reason why he brings that out is because you know, God in pursuing his sovereignty and pursuing his ultimate will is doing so for our ultimate happiness as well. This is not, you know, the world will see it as a conflicting interest. There's no conflicting interest here. Now there is with my carnal self perhaps, but there's no conflicting interest in what God desires to be glorified, to be uh, in God's sovereign hand, and for us to be obedient to that is ultimately for my ultimate good, for my ultimate purposes. And that he accomplishes that for, for my good. God's sovereignty is the foundation of his happiness and our happiness. He uses uh, Psalm 115 where he says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Talks about God's pleasure being accomplished. God has the right and he has the power to do whatever makes him happy. Now, as a believer, what we understand from that as well is that ultimately leads to our own happiness because our own happiness is found in Him. 
God frustrates the plans of the peoples. In Psalm 33, he says, God frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all, to all generations. The foundation of the happiness of God is the sovereignty of God. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing for us to, to grasp that, to understand that, to, to, to accept that. I was listening to a song. I don't know what radio station it was on. I have very short travels. I travel two miles to the church and one mile to the school. So I get, I get the maybe two minutes of a song at most of anything, right? So here's this, this bluegrass Christian thing, I'm sure. She goes, but anyway, I just saw this cue. He said, if it, the chorus went this way. If it matters to me, it matters to God. Thinking, I don't know. <laughs> I think I'd rather sing if it matters to God, it matters to me. But it, it sounds a little funny to sing if it matters to me, it matters to God. And we, we make so many things central, as if my happiness, God is there to fulfill my happiness. Well, ultimately, my happiness is found in Him when He fulfills His good purposes in my life, not because I achieve what I think or pursue what I think I want to pursue. I put down the sovereignty of God is established in the name of God. I mean, the, in Isaiah 4, I gave some references here, and you can look these up a little bit later, but Isaiah 46 says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. We see that in Jacob, in his concluding thoughts about the Lord. It wasn't that Jacob got understanding of why God was doing what he's doing. It got, Jacob simply understood or realized and accepted that uh, there are no purposes outside of God that will be thwarted. God's going to fulfill his purposes. He didn't say, well, God, now I understand why you did this. No, he understands God is God. And in the name of God is indicative of the fact that he rules over the affairs of men. We see that in Jeremiah as well. When he laments over Jerusalem, but then a little bit later in chapter 3, he says, But who has spoken and has come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? In other words, on one hand, you see his description of weeping over Israel and his, the, the condition of Israel. But then chapter 3, a little bit later, he just acknowledges and recognizes that nothing happens unless the Lord has commanded it. And is, not, is it not, he says, from the, mo, from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? In Lamentations 3. A quote from, from the Piper's book that I, I put here, I think on the next page. He says, The hardened disobedience of men's hearts leads not to the frustration of God's plan, but to their fruition. That's, that's a you could really ponder on that for a minute. In other words, man's purposes are the hardened disobedience of man's hearts doesn't lead to the frustration of God's plans. It leads, it leads to the fruition of God's plans. So we see God's sovereignty established in, uh, in his name. We see it in his uh, control over the affairs of men. God is not a frustrated God. Disobedience and hardness of man leads to God's fruition and accomplishing his purposes. But then how the infinite, said the infinite complexity of the divine mind is such that God has the capacity to look at the world through two lenses. And it, the, different people have tried to explain this in, in different ways. And how, how does God's sovereignty intertwine with the affairs of man? And what does that look like? And, and, and why does it function the way it does? 
Piper uses this illustration that I found helpful, and actually it comes back in some of the comments you made about what it means about God's sovereignty and God's goodness, understanding what's going on today versus anchored in something in, in eternity. Here's how he describes reconciling um, this, this narrow lens versus this wide lens. Let me just read a couple comments that he makes about that and see if it doesn't, it helped me in a way reading through this. So Piper says this, and he's making a comment about Jonathan Edwards. Piper says, to put it in my own words, he said that the infinite complexity of the divine mind is such that God has capacity to look at the world through two lenses. He can look through a narrow lens or through a wide-angled lens. And when God looks at a painful or wicked event through his narrow lens, he sees the tragedy of sin for what it is in itself. And he is angered and he is grieved. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So I would add, when you talk about these, this narrow lens, this narrow lens is the immediate experience that I'm going through, what I see in the immediate sense of my circumstances, right? He said, but when God looks at a, at a painful or wicked event through his wide-angled lens, he sees a tragedy of the sin in relation to everything leading up to it and everything flowing out from it. He sees it in relation to all the connections and effects that form a pattern, a mosaic stretching into eternity. So he's saying, he says, so, so when God describes that, and we see both of those in Scripture, we see a narrow description of an event and God grieving over man making a poor decision. But then we see a, a broad description of this and God in connecting it to his infinite purposes and his eternal purposes. So I, I'll say this, and I know... In, in all the things we're going to share this morning, it's really those two pieces I want us to, to remember. I'll say this about peace. Peace is lost in the narrow lens. Peace is lost in the narrow lens, but it is found in the broad lens, knowing that it will fulfill God's eternal purpose. I, we could sit here, even through our prayer request, we, we acknowledge the, the narrow lens difficulties. Uh, whether it be Caleb horse playing with his kids, you know, thinking he's still 18 and he's not anymore and, and tweaking his back or, or whatnot. And, and the narrow lens, there's, there's man making poor decisions. And the narrow lens is us being disobedient. In the narrow lens, there's, there's tragedy, there's difficulties, death, there's all these painful things. And if you only have the narrow lens, which man has only outside of God, then there's no peace in that narrow lens because there's, wow, there's the what-ifs. There's the uncontrollable. There's what will it lead to. But then you, you, you back up in, in a broad and a wide lens, and you, and you relate it to the flowing of things from eternity past to eternity future. And you, and you understand. Now, you don't see it necessarily, but you understand and you believe and you trust God that ultimately he'll, he'll connect these things to fulfill his beautiful purposes. Yes, most of these things is a matter of faith and trust that God provides in his grace to us because we don't see it in the here and now. Why does God allow a mother-in-law to be 95 years old and, and bedridden and have to be 100% cared for? How does this accomplish God's purposes? I have to trust that it does. How does a painful incident, how does an accident, how does death, how does sin, how does disobedience but boy, isn't it, isn't it comforting knowing that God, peace comes from stepping back? And that's where prayer is so helpful. Prayer is not helpful because you're going to pray that God gives you an answer. 
to your immediate difficulty. Prayer is a beautiful, uh, beautifully designed to give us eternal perspective on things. When you walk away from prayer, you walk away, hopefully, a lot more at peace than you did when you started prayer. Not because you have answers to your narrow lens issues, but because you, through prayer, take a broad lens approach to what God is doing. And you, you rest in that. And I tell you, every day, this is not, this is not a, a once-taught, always-learn type of situation, but slowly trusting God in, in, in these areas. You, Jeff, explaining some of that to me in, in relation to when you're counseling parents at school, sometimes we're so wrapped up in an incident, whether it be on the sport field, with the coach, or with the teacher, and a decision, a rash decision could be made for the child, because you want to quickly protect your child, quickly defend your child, quickly whatever, and we can do this as parents. And you told me you've been asking parents to say, how's that going to affect them a week from now? Two weeks from now, a month, a year, that's that problem too. You're thinking of time. What am I doing right now? And what's the effect going to be a week, a year, two years from now in training and helping either myself or somebody I'm working with? Putting decisions, casting decisions in, in the light of a greater, greater lens. We sat back many times, and you know, you, I know we mentioned the school site because we work there a lot, and that's part of our, our daily our daily task. But when you when you face the circumstance, we kind of grieve over it. We lost somebody; they're moving. They're, but at the end, of the, the conversation has to end by saying, "Okay, we're losing that teacher. I hate losing them." But ultimately, I get to back up and saying, the, "The Lord, even if that person is making all their own decisions, the Lord will fulfill His purposes through that." And I have to I have to have to be left with that. Otherwise. The constant lack of peace and frustration that, that stems from that. But now peace is, well, to what end does God exercise his sovereignty for the purposes of, of, of bringing glory to himself, right? And bringing glory to himself is his ultimate good and is our ultimate good as well. Ultimately knowing God, I know for, as, 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 as carnal beings, understanding that ultimately God does this for his purposes is, is something that has to be, I have to wrestle with. But God's ultimate purposes, and I think it put down somewhere uh, that if God is truly, I think I put this in the second, in the next chapter here, if God is truly for us, then He must be for Himself. I think, interesting statement made that way, right? If God is fully, because we always we're always concerned that God is for us. <laughs> we're always concerned: is God really for me? Well, if God is truly for us, He must be ultimately for himself, which means ultimately he must do things in a way that brings glory to himself. So his glory is my, is my ultimate, ultimate good. A few things here I wrote down. One, God's ultimate glory is my ultimate delight and subject of rejoicing. So in other words, in all my, in, in, in understanding God's sovereignty and the goodness of God is the, the blessing of knowing that ultimately these things fulfill his purposes. And ultimately, is that not the question? Lord, may you be glorified through this. May you be glorified through this. And if you're glorified through this, and that if you're glorified through, through my life, through my pain, through my suffering, through death, through rejoicing, through good and the bad, may, may you be glorified. And ultimately, that should be our greatest subject of rejoice, should be whether or not God is glorified and in, in rejoicing in that. Put down his glory is my ultimate good, and God is good, and his power is always wielded with perfect, perfect love.
three three caveats to to God's sovereignty and how we see God exercising His ultimate control and how He does this ultimately for our good. One, I put down God exercises ultimate control over all things, even if it means at times not refraining the actions of evil men. God allows man to fulfill his desires and pursue his own wickedness, but He exercises ultimate control even over those things. God exercises ultimate control, but He does not release us from responsibility of actions. Now. Some people can fall into this fatalism aspect. You know, God, therefore, sovereign controls everything. So I know in, in that narrow sense, I've got that responsibility of being obedient and uh, acting upon the God's revealed truth to me. He has allowed us to exercise immediate control over ourselves, and he will hold us fully accountable for the decisions we make. God exercises ultimate control, but it does not mean we are insulated from suffering. We, we, we're often reminded and have to be reminded in the scripture that God tells the believers we are going to suffer, as he did. We're going to be as, you know, we want to be in an environment, we want to be inclusive. We want to be welcome, we want to be loving. Well, let's be as loving and as inclusive as Christ was. Let's, and we want to be better received than he was received. He was rejected for the truth that he brought uh, and for uh, the truth that he proclaimed. And we, we will be the same, ultimately. God exercises ultimate control, but wants us to depend fully and solely on Him. 2 Corinthians 1, 1, 9. The last point simply is this. Peace is rooted in trusting a, a sovereign and good God. Trusting means that in spite of our questions, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our fears, we draw on His grace, and we continue to believe that He is loving and He is in control and He is always working for our good. He is always working for our good. I understand when someone comes to you in a crisis moment and they have great, a great challenge and they're facing a great difficulty, you have to help them unpack that. You have to help them soothe their, their fears. You have to help them. It's not just a matter of, of, of a, a broad, all things work together for good. I mean, it's, it's deeper than that. But ultimately, it's understanding that God will take this Misery and this sin and this tragedy and be glorified in it and how can I uh, be obedient in such a way that that is the case as well. Trusting God is a decision, meaning it's intentional, is grace from God that we're able to do so, but it's a, you, you trust God, it's a decision that you make and you're intentional about. Trusting God is a reflection of how you view God meaning your view of God, your view of his sovereignty, your view of his goodness will have a profound impact on your ability to trust him. And trusting God is what fuels my obedience to God. Meaning if I firmly believe that God is a sovereign and good God, I will be inclined to follow him in the midst of adversity. How many times as a parent you've had to try to convince your kids that this is for your good. Trust me, trust me, trust me. This is for your good. But God's sitting there saying this is for your good. I will fulfill my purposes through in and through this. So just a concluding thought on this. If you do not have a firm belief in God's sovereignty and God's love, then you will not have peace. You'll find solutions of your own doing. You'll be frustrated. You'll be discouraged. And you'll trust in another person or even trust in yourself. I'll leave this one last comment Sam makes in his book. If you believe God is sovereign and that he will never allow anything into your life unless... It can be used for good. You will see conflicts not as accidents but as opportunities. This kind of trust glorifies God and inspires the faithfulness needed for effective peacemaking. So two wonderful points to ponder. And, of course, there are 
a lot more could be said and could be uh, reflected and thought upon here. But it was a, it was a good encouragement to me working through this. I appreciate Nathan giving me the, this opportunity today to to cover this chapter three. Looking forward to to next week as we continue on this foundational piece of uh, what it means to be peacemakers. So let's pr- close the word of prayer today. Well, Father, we come to you and we proclaim this truth. Even in our narrow view of what we're experiencing, we struggle with understanding it. But we trust you, Lord. We trust you that you're a sovereign God who rules over the affairs of man. And we trust that you're a good God that fulfills his purposes. And those purposes are to glorify yourself. And in that do we find our joy. So, Lord, I... So much of this can be applied to our daily lives. So much of this can be applied to every prayer request that was made today. I pray, Lord, that we might just give us that faith, Lord, that is a faith in, in you. I commit this day to you, Lord. Bless these families. Bless the remainder of the service to come. Pray for Pastor Pharaoh as he brings the word. In your name we pray. Amen.